Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Okay, well, we are continuing our series on the mind, the arena of faith. And it is based upon a book written by our very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price. And the last time we were together, we were just about to get into what is the master key. So I'm going to ask that you turn with me to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 17. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 17. And please just let me know that you're there by saying amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay, I'm going to share it with you out of two different translations. The first one is the Amplified because, as you know, that's the one I say always has the qualifiers in it. And then I'll share it out of the message. So starting with the Amplified, it says, So stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the wide band of truth. Here's the qualifier. Personal integrity, moral courage around your waist. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the qualifier, an upright heart. And having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation, big qualifier, to face the enemy. Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. Ephesians 6, 14 to 17. Is everybody there? Yes. Okay, great. So let me go back. Starting at verse 15 now. And having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation. This is a big qualifier. What does that mean? It means to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the readiness produced by the good news. Verse 16, above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, if we look at it in the message, it says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. So in verses 14 and 15, no matter what translation, Paul is telling us what to do, but he doesn't tell us why we should do it. I think that's very critical. In verse 16, though, he tells us to do something above all. But why does he say above all? The words above all give the implication that what is being stated in verse 16 may be a lot more important than what's stated in 14 and 15. Wouldn't you agree? He said, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. How many things are left out of all? Exactly. So if we're in the middle of warfare and we want something that's going to quench all the darts that are coming in our direction, don't we want to utilize that? 
Okay, y'all don't sound, I do. Okay, okay, so that means above all, we need to pay attention to what is stated. So likewise though, in verse 17, he doesn't tell us why we should take the helmet of salvation except in reference to faith. He said above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, here's something I want you to consider. Everybody knows we can use this fellowship center as an example. You know that there's a suite of offices, correct? And if you've ever been down that corridor, you know that all of the offices have a wonderful little keypad so that everybody has their own, you know, combination, if you will, to be able to get into the office. Now, the interesting thing is we don't have each other's combinations. However, there is a master key. And there's a master key that the building actually even has to hold in case of you know, some calamity or something. That master key can open up every single door, irregardless of whatever combination there is. That's what a master key is. It's you know, the same thing, well, this is going way back when I think about like school. <laughs> Like if you're, you know, I guess in a locker room or something and you have a combination on a locker, there's still always the coach or somebody has the master key so that you can get into the locker. It's the same type of thing. So when we are in warfare and we are dealing with the enemy, we want that master key. We don't want just certain combinations to unlock certain doors. Wouldn't you agree? Okay, so in this particular instance, this is letting us know that of all of the pieces of armor mentioned in Ephesians 6, and you can really spend some time studying that, that's a whole other lesson, the helmet, the sword, the breastplate, they're all keys, like they're all doors to get into the entrance into something, but the master key is the shield of faith because it is the thing that makes all of the doors of life open for us. That's why it specifically says, above all, take the shield of faith because it is the master key. So if you take the shield of faith, you'll be able to handle anything that comes against you. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness or the gospel of peace. Faith is the armor of Bible knowledge, which still brings us all the way back all the time to the word. Now we found out before, and we've spent a lot of time on the fact, that knowledge and its proper use does what? It wins battles. Not just knowledge wins battles, but the knowledge and its proper use. It goes hand in hand. The term proper is important because things can be what? They can be improper. Things can be misused, misconstrued, <laughs> misapplied, and you will not get the exact results intended. So knowledge and its proper use is what wins battles. Now this is a perfect reason, yet another reason, why being filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, is so vital. Because that is giving us what? It's giving us entrance directly into the throne room of God where we can get knowledge and wisdom that we can't normally get on our own. It also helps us with discernment. We need these things. These are all tools that are available to you. And it's so sad because well, we know what the enemy is doing in so many churches across America. He makes it sound like if you speak in other tongues, there's something wrong with you. It's of the devil. I mean, he's going to do that because it's bad enough when you become a Christian. He's not happy with that. But when you are filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have wrecked his whole life because now you have a weapon that is like a nuclear 
nuclear bomb that can just totally destroy everything that he's got. And he knows that because he's not dumb. You know, we might want to say that, but he's not dumb. He's very cunning. He's very sly. And he knows exactly what it is he's doing. So that's why, again, any believer who is not filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the only thing that I can say to you is you know what it's like to have... um, You know what it's like to be able to operate in this world with all of your faculties about you, with all of your members. You know, you know how nice it is to be able to walk around and, you know, to have your arms and to have all of your five senses, to have your body working as it ought. Well, not having the gift of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking with other tongues, meaning you are totally filled to overflowing. It is likened to, I would say, a person who unfortunately is like a paraplegic in that they do not have their use of their limbs. And then on top of it, I would say it's equivalent to being someone who is also blind because they cannot even see where they're going. That's what it's like. You can be a Christian. You can love God. You will die and you will go to heaven, but you will not have the victorious life that he wanted for you here. And it's one thing if unfortunately you are in that position physically to have those things happen to you, okay? But it's another thing when you just sit there and allow that to be the quality of your life when you have a choice. But the wonderful thing is we have free will. So if that's what you want to do, I have to love you and allow you to do it. So now we all know (laughs) that there are fiery darts, the evil day, and the wiles of the devil. We spent a lot of time talking about that. Then we even talked about how could we validate this whole contention with scripture. So I had asked you if we could prove that out, even though we're not going to find a specific verse that specifically refers to thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. We will, however, find allusions to them, but we won't find a specific mention. Turn with me to Philippians, the third chapter, and we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. It's Philippians 3, verses 13 through 14, and this is Paul speaking to us here. Do you have it? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to read it first out of the New King James Version, which is what most of you have. And it says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, many of us have heard this scripture, quoted this scripture, wonderful scripture. I'm going to read it out of the easy to read because I think it breaks it down even a little bit better. And it says, brothers and sisters, I know that I still have a long way to go, but there is one thing I do. I forget what is in the past and try as hard as I can to reach the goal before me. I keep running hard toward the finish line to get the prize, the prize that is mine because God has called me through Christ Jesus to life up there in heaven. And then... Now, doesn't that sound a little bit different? It does. It breaks it down different, right? That's why we have all these different translations. Because I have read this other one for years and years and years. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. All right, I count myself apprehending. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's nice. But this, to me, it was like, wow, makes a total difference. Now, the message says it this way. I'm not saying that I have this all together, but I have it made. (laughs) But I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. 
By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. Isn't that good? I just really like that. Nobody else got anything out of it I did. So Paul is saying, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, some of the things which are behind would constitute the past. Wouldn't you say that? Okay. However, it does not mean to forget everything that's behind. Paul is simply saying, forget all the negative things that have stalemated us or kept us from making progress toward the future. For example, some people constantly get hung up because of something that's happened negative in their past or something that someone has said to them, which is why you always hear me say it's so important the words that we speak and the words should be a gift and the things that we say because, you know, there are children all over America and it hurts me to this day because someone will say something to them where they're imparting negativity in their life. And depending upon their age, they may not know how to discern and say that doesn't apply to me. You know, um, one of the things that gets to me, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to, you know, sit sometimes and visit with people and, you know, in one of the jobs that I had once before, I had to interview a lot of people, you know, for, you know, for employment. And I saw this man come in, dressed to the T. And he must have been probably, I don't know, he might have been about 50 years old. So that's like a seasoned person. It's not like he came in and he was 18. And he had to, this was for an insurance company that I worked for. So he had to fill out an application because this was back years ago when they actually talked to you and gave you application. Now everything is online, it's so impersonal, they don't care, you know, everything is whatever. But this was when people actually came in for interviews and stuff. And there was a, a section though, because of the particular area that he was going into, that he actually had to sit, and it wasn't like he had to take a math test, so I don't want to make it sound that complicated. But he did have to answer a couple of little mathematical things. And here I saw this person who had come in, exude such confidence. I mean, he seemed like he could handle anything we gave to him. Like I said, dressed to the nines, did everything right. And he sat there and literally dissolved into a little boy in front of my eyes who looked like he was about maybe 11. He was so stressed at having to do that little small mathematical question, per se. And I just looked there. But, praise God, I wasn't even born again at the time. But I did always love God. And God is merciful. And he'll use anybody. I mean, we saw that. And he used me that day to be able to share with him, it's no big deal. Guess what? The math is not what's going to get you the job. Don't even worry about it. Then he goes on to tell me his story. <laughs> and his story was that when he was in school, he had a math teacher tell him, you are terrible in math. You're never going to be good in math. You're never going to be able to do anything. Don't even go out for a job or anything that has anything to do with math. But here's a 50-year-old man. This was said to him in grade school. He carried that burden with him all of this time. And it was actually, if he didn't have someone who was sensitive in spirit that God could use would have allowed him not to get a job. So I say all of that to say, we do have to understand 
that sometimes some things may have been said to us. We may not even stop to think about it because we're so busy. And in New York, we're always busy. We really don't have time to sit that much and think. But there may have been things that people said to you or imparted into your life that are not lining up with the word of God. They are not true. So if they're not lining up with the word of God, which is the truth, that means that they are a lie. And we already know who is the author of lies. So that's why it's so important that you take some time. And I know it's a premium. I mean, believe me, don't think I just sit around and have nothing to do and I have all the time in the world. I understand the importance of time. And I understand that even when you're here, which is why I always include this in my prayer, and I mean it most earnestly, you're giving of your life because you can't get the last five minutes back, which means you gave of your life. But we've got to take some time to sit and really be authentic and see if some people have said some things to us that should not have been said so that we can then have the presence of mind to say you know what I do not receive that I have been redeemed from that and let me move forward we've got to do that because we may not really realize how much it is holding us bound okay so just know that so yeah it's important to move forward but sometimes you've got to you know kind of do some house cleaning and see what little mothballs and some things that are underneath the dust bunnies that are underneath the you know dresser or something you may not have moved in 10 years you need to kind of see what's going on there so that you can move forward and receive all that God has for you okay so hopefully that was for somebody um, because I know people do get hung up on things like that, and that's not at all what God wants for us. Um, now, okay, there are some things also in our past that we do want to remember that are good. Think about this. Think about the day that you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Don't you want to remember that day? I know I do. I remember it. I remember it, and I will never forget it. It was August 24th, 1984 at 11.07 p.m. And I used to laugh at people when I would hear them say, oh, I know the day I was saved. And I used to look, but then again, I wasn't born again. I didn't know I wasn't. But I used to go, how do they know? I mean, they're making such a big deal. Oh, I remember it like clockwork. The point being is, I don't ever want to forget that. I remember the day I got married. <laughs> don't... It was good, but I'm only laughing because my wedding was something that one day, I will tell you all, we did some funny things. It was hysterical. There were just some funny things that happened. And one of them was, I had given the pastor uh, Romans 8, 37 through 39, which happened to be one of my favorite scriptures. And I asked him to read this. We had this all planned out right for him to read. We get up there. We're at the wedding. The people are out there. I mean, we're here. He decides to take it upon himself to read this poem by Elizabeth Browning or something about how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. And I'm standing here looking at him. I start, I, it's funny, on the day you get married, your emotions are kind of like all over the place. And here I am, and we already know I cry, okay? So here I am, I'm crying. The makeup is dripping, because I went and had makeup done. Why am I telling you this? I don't know, but it's funny. I'm doing that, and then, as I'm crying, then the snot starts coming. And I'm like standing here, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you don't 
want to do this, right? And we didn't have the wonderful team that we have here to take care of us. Okay, so the best man is sitting there. He's cracking up. Now, the people behind us don't know what's going on. This pastor, is, he's just reading his little poem. And I'm like, I just cannot believe this. So then people are now, I guess they signal or something to get tissues. It was just a mess. It was just, oh my gosh. But anyway, that's just one segment. Like I said, I'll tell you the other another time. But no, I don't want to forget that because it was a wonderful day. Beside all that, that part was good. I never want to forget when my children were born. And each one of them, five of them, it was still a different experience with every single one of them. So I don't want to forget that. So there are a lot of good things that we have to remember. You have to. So it's not... Paul is not suggesting that we just forget everything at, at all. He's just suggesting that we forget the things that are negative. And then they even tell us in Philippians 4.8, which I should have had this for you. Maybe I'll bring it up if my phone cooperates. You should turn to Philippians 4.8. This is another one of those scriptures that I really do like. And phone, don't mess up on me now. Um, this is what we are supposed to do in line with the word. It specifically tells us, and I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified because I like it the best, where it says, finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. That's what we're supposed to do. And all of those wonderful things, you know, being born again, being spirit-filled, weddings, birth of children, they fit into that. So we're supposed to think on those things and remember those things. It's just the other stuff that's not good, that's what we need to just go ahead and put it in its appropriate receptacle, which is really the trash. <laughs> So Paul wasn't talking about anything good or positive, and here's what, and here's something that we can know. What I want to do is I really want to take some time and go through the Old Testament and see the mistakes that were made, because it, and that's again, it's the Old Testament, but we can learn experientially for some of the, some of the things that they did, um, because we can look at some of the things they did, just like Precious Little Eve, and say, I'm not going to do that, okay? So it's there for a purpose. So the past, again, it's there for a purpose. We spent a lot of time in Genesis 3, and for those of you who want to go back, you can. We're not tonight, but you can. And we found that Satan had taken advantage of Eve because she didn't maintain her thought life. Now, we know that all of that happened, and she was deceived, and we talked about the whole mess that she was in, and we know that it was all taken, it took place because of thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. But now I want us to look at some other examples of some other people, because we have picked on poor Eve enough. So, um, <clears throat> because in all of the examples that we're going to look at, we're going to see how the people were devoured by the devil because they did not do one critical thing, which was to what? Maintain their thought life. Let's take, for instance, Judas Iscariot. For example, now just think about Judas. Because this is that's the beauty about study. It's not just reading, it's really thinking about it. This is a man who had the opportunity to walk the earth with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
I mean, this isn't like he was reading about him like we are. He literally was walking with him. Can you imagine how that would be if we had that opportunity? I mean, we're all looking forward to being able to behold his face and see him one day. But he's here he is, walking along with him like all of us can just walk out and catch the bus or whatever. He's walking along with him. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be on that boat on the Sea of Galilee? I mean, you know, they're out there on the boat and the waves are beating into the ship and everything and the disciples, of course, are panicking and all the rest of that and they just really believed in their heart they were going to drown and they got to see Jesus just stand up and say, peace, be still. I mean, you know, we read about it and we imagine it, but he actually experienced it. You know, it's sort of like you can look at a beautiful, beautiful picture of the Grand Canyon, but it's not quite the same as actually beholding it and seeing it, you know? You can look at, oh, I don't know, anything. Better yet, you can look at a piece of chocolate cake, but if you're looking at it, and you, I know, everything leads back to chocolate, and you don't get to taste it, it's just not quite the same, right? So that's kind of like where we're at. Whereas he actually got to experience all of himself. He got to see him say, quiet yourselves, and just watch the whole entire everything just stop at his command. Now, the Bible says that there was a great calm. Not just a calm, but a great calm. Wouldn't that have been wonderful to see? You just see the whole earth just listen to his command and obey. That's got to be something. So it had to be awesome to see him. And this is another thing that I would have really liked to see. To see him take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and feed 5,000 men plus women and children, which means it was way more than 5,000. And we always know there's usually more women and children than there are men. So just imagine how many people that was. And there were still baskets and baskets of fragments left over. That had to be something to be able to behold that. What an opportunity Judas had to see the miracles, blind eyes open, lame people walking, lepers cleansed. Wow. And to stand, and this is another thing that to me would have been something, to stand at the tomb of Lazarus, who had already been dead and decaying. I mean, you know, just imagine that. And all he had to do was say, Lazarus, come forth and to see him rise again. Now, just as Minister Scott's been teaching on Sunday, notice he did have to say Lazarus, because if not, all of the dead, just like the whole earth had a great calm, all of the dead would have just arisen. So to see that kind of power and majesty in front of you, that just had to be something. Now, we talk about how the enemy walks about seeking whom he may devour. Look at, look also, turn with me to John, John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. And we're going to look at verse 2. John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, verse 2. And the New King James Version puts it this way. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. If we look at it in the easy to read, it says, Jesus and his followers were at the evening meal. The devil had already persuaded Judas Iscariot to hand Jesus over to his enemies. Judas was the son of Simon. And then the message says, 
Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. How do you think the devil got in there? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Notice what it says. And supper being ended, the devil having already made Jesus betray, made Judas betray Jesus. No, it didn't say that. It said that he put it in his heart. Okay, there's a distinct difference. Meaning Satan dropped that suggestion there and he put it in his heart. Now let's look at it from Judas's angle because it seems like everybody has a little bit of an angle. So Judas has been walking with this great teacher, this great man who's done all of these wonderful things. And sometimes people do have a tendency, because remember, this is a time when now, man, that whole sinful nature has been released thanks to our little friend Adam. So Judas is getting to a point where he has what I call the disease of me, where he's starting to think, you know, really high of himself. So he's like, man, you know, I've been walking with this man for three and a half years, meaning Jesus, and you see all the people coming to him, folk coming up with all kinds of things they want to give him, and he refused to take them. You see, he wouldn't let them make him king. So here's the thought and the idea and suggestion. So he begins to think, this is crazy. I've got to get some of this stuff <laughs> for myself. I've been walking with him all this time. If I got rid of him, the doors would be open for me. There's no telling what I could have. Again, thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Now Satan was walking like a roaring lion and he finally found someone that he could devour. And think about how Judas ended up. He was actually a really poor, foolish man because he ended up going out and hanging himself. And I believe without any shadow of doubt that if he had realized his mess up and had gone to Jesus for forgiveness, all would have been forgiven. Because we know that. Because think about it. Peter denied Jesus three times. But Jesus forgave him. Some people have this mistaken idea that God ordained that Judas betray Jesus. But that's not God. You have to understand, and this is a very key element, you have to understand that God has foreknowledge. Okay? So when you think about that, God knew that Adam and Eve had the possibility. Well, he knew they were going to mess up. He probably, I would like to think, now this is Ivor's opinion, that he was hoping they would not because he gave them free will. So he gave them the opportunity to do right. But he already knew. And, you know, he already had a backup plan just in case they went ahead and did what they did because he has foreknowledge. Now, we don't know how God knows what's going to happen in the future. Okay, but we do know that since he has this foreknowledge, that's why it's so important as believers that we pray. 
because you can sit up and you can decide I'm going to go take a new job, I'm going to go start a business, I'm going to move into a new house, I'm going to move to a different state. Yes, your mind can evaluate and calculate, praise God, that's good that you have that. And you may have academia and you may have done your demographics and blah blah blah. But God has the foreknowledge of what's going to happen when you get to whatever that next place is. So you need to ask him. You need to not be silly and be deceived like Judas, like Eve and Adam. <laughs> but because he wasn't deceived, so forget that. The other two that were deceived, you don't want to be like that. You want to really ask God, what do you want me to do? Because when you finally get to a place where you wake up every morning and you realize that your whole sum total of existence, have you ever asked yourself that? What are you here for? I mean, do you really think you're here for that 40-hour, 60-hour, 80-hour with overtime hoping to get more money job, okay? Do you really think that's why you were born? That's why you were reared? That's why your parents sacrificed to get you here for you to do that? And then, oh, praise the Lord, you get to come to church on Sunday. You get to come to Bible study on Thursday. Oh, well, we go on an event. Praise the Lord, and you just continue with that and die? Do you really think that's why you are here? I submit to you, it is not. You are fulfilling a purpose that only you can fulfill. Nobody else can do what it is that you can do. But the enemy with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions will have you. Do you know what a little hamster does? You know, you get a hamster, you put them in a cage. They have that little wheel and they just go around and go around. They literally will go around until they die. That's all they know to do. He tries to put us in that kind of pattern where we just do the same thing day in, day out, day in, day out until the time comes and we go to your celebration of life ceremony. That is not what God wants. He wants so much more. But we need to get up in the morning and find out, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Now, I am not silly. I understand that there are tasks that have to be done. That, you know, it's not like you can just sit there and say, okay, you're going to just bring manna out, you know, from the sky and feed me, and you're just going to pay my bills. I understand that you still have to go to work. You have to do certain things because that's the life that we have at the moment. But you need to seek his face, not just for what he has in his hand to give you, but just seek his face to see what is it that you want me to do. And when you do that, you see, that's when promotion comes because promotion comes from above. It doesn't come from your little boss on the job. You, If you seek the face of God and you are doing what he has called you to do and you purpose that in your heart, not just like, okay, this is exercise. This is what I learned in Bible study, so I'm going to do this this week. But you really purpose in your heart, you will see that he will move things out of your way. You might not have even been applying for a promotion and they will come and give it to you. Things will happen to you that you, it's just nonsensical. You cannot even understand it. It's because God will move the most remote star in the heavens just for you. And you know when you go to the beach, you see all that sand? You can't count all of the little, you know, grains of sand. But do you know he will move any one of them for you? That's how much he loves you. But he's not going to do that if you don't give him the time of day. And it takes more than saying, oh, I'm going to spend 15 minutes and do my little, yeah, okay, here we go. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I read this. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Uh-uh. That's not, you didn't connect your heart to that. And he's looking for your heart. 
He is not looking for, you, you know, he doesn't need to see how much you can read and how fast. He's not interested in that. But he's interested in you caring about what he wants to do with this life that he kept you through the night to give you to wake up in the morning to say, thank you, Lord. That's the difference. And we got to get there. We, we can't just keep playing around and thinking it's okay. It is just not okay. And when we do things like that, we really are setting ourselves up to allow thoughts, ideas, and suggestions to come into our mind, planted there by the enemy, and not having what God would want us to have. And that is just <laughs> totally unacceptable. Now, I have no idea, and I cannot tell you uh, how God knows what's going to happen in the future. I don't know that. Okay? I don't know that. And sometimes you have people, I haven't spent a lot of time, because I just love God and just take it at that. But there are people who sit, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, really intelligent people will sit, and they wonder what God was doing before he created the world. There are some people who wonder where God came from and how he got to be God. I mean, there are people who will sit and spend ponder hours over this. Now, we may have all thought about it from time to time, like who decided he was God and how did he become God. You know, I mean, I personally, I don't have time for that, so I really haven't. But it's okay if you do. It's, it's your thinking. But every time those people sit and do it, I don't care who they are, they run smack dab into a stone wall. And they can literally blow out every circuit that they have in their brain trying to figure it out because we cannot categorically refute it. We might as well, since we can't, to me, why not just accept it? Because when we get to the end, if we find out that there is no God, and that there is no Jesus, and that the Bible was not real, it was just a storybook to keep us entertained, that none of this that we're standing on believing is true, you know what? We really haven't lost a thing. However, it would be a tragedy of epic proportion if we find out that it was true and we didn't make preparations because God has foreknowledge. He put it in the Bible that Jesus would that, I mean that Judas would portray Jesus but he didn't make Judas betray Jesus. He said in John 13 2 which we just read a few minutes ago that the enemy would put it in Judas's heart but God didn't do that. If Judas had been programmed from creation to betray Jesus and sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, oh, that's terrible. The Bible would have told us that, but it did not. Judas must have accepted the thoughts, the ideas, and the suggestions, and we already know because we've read it. We know that he did. But here's the key. It happens to all of us. And this is why we need to learn from Judas. I submit to you that the same way, because think about this, sometimes we're like, yeah, but we're, you know, we're born again, we're spirit-filled, all the rest of this. Judas, like we said, was a disciple who walked with Jesus, hand in hand, like we can walk, hand in hand. And he still messed up and was devoured by the enemy with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. So do you think that people, even in your church family, can't be that way? Do you think you can't be that way? When you come into church and you see some people who look at you and pass you by and don't want to speak, where do you think that thought, idea, and suggestion came from? Do you really think that that came from the Holy Spirit? No. Better yet, 
when you come into church, this is being real authentic. I know we don't like to go there, okay? But when you yourself come into church and you may see somebody and you know they're okay, it's not like, but you may, you just have a mood where you don't feel like talking to anybody. And you know if you go up to that person, they're just going to talk and talk and talk. And you sit there and like, oh man, I'm going to see if I can, let me go to the ladies' room. I'm going to go back around here. Now, but I'm, this is being authentic because see, people won't talk about this, but it's true. Where did that thought and idea and suggestion come from? See, we need to nip those things in the bud because if you don't, you start to open up the door where the enemy can give you more thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that can be a lot more detrimental than you just ducking somebody. But the point is, if that's your brother and sister, even if it's a visitor, it doesn't have to be your brother and sister. We're supposed to have the love of God oozing out of us where people just want to be in our presence. So you can't get upset with that. You have to be happy that they want to be in your presence. If people are running away from you, you really need to spend, you really have to spend some time and try to figure out what's going on. But again, this is why I guess I get these assignments because people don't want to talk about this, but it's very, very, very real. So because God has foreknowledge, okay, I already told you that part, so I don't tell you that again. Here's the thing. If Judas had to accept the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, and we know that it can happen to us, the difference is we do have the power not to accept them because we can go ahead and govern what is coming at us. We have that ability. And what is our greatest weapon to thwart the enemy? The word of God. Right, okay, but again, it's nice, okay, I'll put it to you this way. You know how some people, like there's someone I know who can read books, I mean this girl, you can give her a book that's 400 pages and you know, talk to her in a day and a half and she's read the whole thing. And I used to sit and I used to go, wow, like I don't think I'm like really that behind as an individual, but I can't read it that fast. You know what I mean? I could really sit there. <laughs> and I just, you know, I, I don't understand. I had even thought about once taking like a speed reading course. Remember years ago they had like little Evelyn Wood or whoever she was. I thought about doing that. But then the Holy Spirit showed me something. Some people can read, but they don't comprehend what they've read. So this person, I figured that out. Because I figured I, I let her little read her little book and then I read the little book. Took me longer than, you know, the day and a half it took her. But then when I went to ask her something about it, she didn't know anything. She didn't know the characters. She barely knew any. I was like, well, did you read this same book I read? Okay, so then, but that's why you should never compare. So that was another lesson I learned. You never compare. But what I learned was the importance of comprehension. I would rather you take a verse, okay? A little bit more than Jesus wept. Okay, but a verse. And comprehend that verse and apply it to your life than to sit up and tell me how many chapters you've read and all the rest of that. And then you can't even tell me what to do with the chapters you've read. So, and I'm sure that that's exactly what we need to do because that is what helps us thwart the enemy. It's like you can build 
just like you know how you, you hear people talk about, you know, they'll pray for their children and they say they pray a hedge around them. I don't ever, I've never prayed a hedge around my children. I pray a wall. And I'm talking about a brick wall. Because a hedge, you can kind of step through that. I don't want any step through. I want you to have to blow up that wall. And that's not going to happen. Okay? That's, that's how we have to look at it. So we need to have everything that we can have girding us. We know we have to have our faith. We've got to have that shield of faith. We discovered that tonight, but we've got to know the word and it's got to be in your heart because you don't always have a Bible to pick up. You may be somewhere if you, you know, I mean, I have seen people walking along now. I'm believing this will never happen to us, but I have seen people walking along and they, you know, have something happen to them and they fall in the street. They don't have time to go pick up their Bible and, and start looking for verses. It's got to be in their heart so that they can say it is written and be able to say something. So if you don't have the word there, you can't do it. So, and we have to know, okay, and this is very important, we got to look at this fact. We know full well that even though God had foreknowledge and he let us know that Satan was going to place this in Judas's heart, Judas still went ahead and did what it is that he did. But we know that God wasn't trying to set Judas up to do it because God wasn't trying to send Judas to hell. Okay, if God was trying to do that, he could put all of us there. What is he? He doesn't have to pick and choose and go, okay, well, you go to hell and you go to hell. He could have just had all of us do that because he gave us the free will. But because of his foreknowledge, he knew it. And that's why he recorded it in his word. So it's important to know that. So let's look at another illustration that is biblical. And this will also prove what we just said about Judas being true. The Bible said that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Why would Jesus be the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world if there wasn't a world to come? Good question, right? Why was it necessary that he be slain before the foundation of the world if there wasn't some necessity for a sacrifice to be made. Why? Because, like I said to you before, God knew that Adam and Eve were going to mess up, but he didn't make them mess up. He didn't make them do what they did. He created them with a free will, and he gave them a choice. Because, though, of his foreknowledge, he knew they weren't going to make the right choice. He made preparations so, he, so that we wouldn't have to go to hell when we die. He made provision that Jesus would come and redeem us. Now, I look at it this way, because I always try to break it down in some kind of way we can understand it. How many of you, um, like say for instance, if you ever had, well, if any of you have children, and when your children were like younger, say, and you know you may have given them X amount of dollars, okay, to have something taken care of. Like you might have said, here, I don't know what the numbers are now, but maybe $20, probably more than that. But it's like, here, here's your allowance for this week, and I need you to go to school and pay for your lunch with that. Now, I know the numbers could be off, but, you know, my kids are like grown, so I don't remember. But whatever, say it's that. And you give them that, and you give them the license to do it. Now, you would like to believe that they're going to be obedient, they're going to follow it to the letter, and they're going to do it. But you know your children. So you also know that some of them, like one of my sons, will get a little sidetracked, okay, and stop off, and it's like, well, I have to get a little candy here, and I have to get a little... So by the time Thursday comes, that $20 that you gave him on Sunday is gone. 
So what do you do? You already know. Now he had a free will. He was supposed to do what we told him to do. But because we love them, of course you chasing them, you explain what has to happen, but you also have another little money there so that they can go ahead and eat the rest of the week, right? So think about that. If we, with our little minds can figure that out. Think of how much more God thinks and how much more he loves us and does for us. And we know that. We know just even in our own circumstances as grown people, sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we mess up. I have spent more on Christmas than I needed to spend sometimes. And then, you know, the bills start coming in and it's like they don't care about what I feel about Christmas. They want to get paid. Okay? And then I realize okay, I might have to make some changes here because I can't get upset. I certainly went ahead and I did it. But thank God he's so merciful. I can ask for his mercy and grace, which is renewed each and every morning, and he comes up with a way to take care of it for me. And I'm out of time. So we will have to stop there and pick up next week. Praise the Lord. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.